Hello, Guitar Smarts listeners. This is an important announcement. Please don't skip ahead. We start this podcast with a special message. Way back in 2021, Guitar Smarts had the pleasure of interviewing the utterly fantastic Matt Long. Matt is a multiple award-winning British blues guitarist and lead singer of the British blues band Catfish and hard rock outfit The Revenant Ones. He joined us for episode number 20 and was a truly gracious guest who spoke about his career, his childhood, guitars and meetings his hero, Joe Bonamassa. Well, Matt needs your help. Through 2023, Matt has been undergoing treatment for bowel cancer, and his recent prognosis has meant that to extend his life and retain a chance of survival, he needs to seek private treatment outside of the NHS. Matt's family have set up a GoFundMe page that is linked in the Guitar Smarts link tree in the description of this podcast. And we at the Guitar Smarts podcast would like to invite each and every listener to consider donating towards this fund that could well save the life of one of the brightest guitar talents of our generation. Now is the time, folks. Head on over to the link in the description to find the GoFundMe page. Donate what you can. Your donation could save a life. Thank you. Enjoy the podcast. What I think you should do is after this podcast, I think you should start throwing keys at your guitars. Just, just, just start throwing stuff. Just, just get tools out and, you know, like drill bits and things and just start tossing them at all your guitars and it'll be painful. But you'll, in 10 years' time, when your guitars are worth nothing uh, and all you have is just a lot of... <laughs> scratched and broken wood hanging on your wall. You'll be reminded of this day and you'll go, oh, that was a good day. I'm pleased. Day. That, this- <laughs> that was the day it all, it all finally, it finally got too much and yeah. uh, I couldn't I can take <laughs> curating this collection anymore. Greetings and welcome to this week's Guitar Smarts podcast. Thank you very much for downloading and listening. This week, Karen and I are telling you why you should stop buying guitars. Not really. We don't think you should stop buying guitars, but we're asking the question, how many guitars do you really need? How many guitars do you want? What really does the guitarist need in their life to enjoy the music they play and if you're a professional musician how many guitars do you really need to do the job that you do Um, because we all love having instruments we all want more guitars it's you know gear acquisition syndrome is a real thing Uh, so let's talk about it Anyway, as usual, go down to our description to find some interesting links to where you can leave reviews for the podcast. You can find links to our social media pages as well, where you can you, where you can communicate with us. Um, you can also find links to our merchandise site on Etsy, and also you can find our Buy Me a Coffee page if you did want to come and contribute to the podcast. Um, <clears throat> as always, if you want to help the show, the best thing you can do is leave those ratings or reviews on the on your favourite podcast app. Uh, Spotify and iTunes are the best place to do it, but there are other places too. And remember to like and subscribe so that when the next episode comes out, you get alerted and never miss a show. Anyway, that's enough waffle from me. Let's get to it. One, two, one, two. Yeah, mic's recording. Got my cup of tea. Just need to turn your camera on so I can see your beautiful oh. face. Oh, how, rem- <laughs> how remiss of me. There he is. There I am. Hello, mate. Yeah. How you doing? Yeah, really good, man. Really good. Fantastic. How are you? Oh, Splendid. Do you know what? I, really good. Really good. It's been a good week. I feel like work is calming down a little bit. It's been a mad month. 
Yeah. Um, work's starting to calm down. And probably now I've said that, though, it'll go mad again. <laughs> but it's good to be busy, isn't it? It's good to be busy. Yeah, yeah, man. Life's good. I'm okay. That's good. That's good Same to hear, man. Same as you. I've got a cup of tea, and that just makes everything, you know, like a bucket of Doesn't tea, it? pretty much. Isn't it? Yeah, that is a huge mug, man. It's been a, it's been a while since we've spoken. Uh, we've been a couple of, couple of weeks, so I'm looking forward to a good catch-up, mate. I think it might be a bit of a random one today uh, of all kinds of things that yeah. have happened over the last couple of weeks. <laughs> could, could be a bit random, I think, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Hey, I've got to show you something quickly, though. One of my work oh, colleagues. Because yeah. um, although I drink tea, I do love a decent coffee as well. And uh, yeah. one of my work colleagues is an Egyptian. Mm. He went back to Egypt and and he bought me one of these. I don't know if you've ever used one. Oh, I haven't. It's I've like seen a, one, but I haven't Yeah, it's like it. a little stovetop coffee thing yeah. um, for making mud coffee or something, he said. So you, like, you leave all yeah. the... You leave all the coffee grinds in there as you drink it. You just let it settle. Yes. I haven't tried it yet, but I'm excited because it's a very unique way of uh, of making coffee. But anyway, apropos of nothing, just thought I'd share that with you. So, well, mate, I'm, I'm there with you on that. I had my first um, proper Turkish coffee the other day uh, when I went to this beautiful mm. Turkish restaurant in uh, in Guildford, and. Um, uh, I have work colleagues who are Turkish and who, who you know, are religious about their coffee. They bring in those little uh, devices that you've just shown me and they make their own coffee at work, even though we've got the most beautiful, expensive uh, bean-to-cut machines in the office that are just like, you know, <laughs> tens of thousands of pounds. They still yeah. insist on, on making their own coffee. Um, so I'm like, okay, that's cool. I, I get it. I get it now, though, because I, I tried this Turkish coffee properly made in this restaurant the other day, and my goodness, it was it was yeah, it really? was good. It was good. It Fantastic. Was good. Yeah, yeah, I love a fresh coffee. I get. Yeah. I've got beans downstairs, and I grind them when I make a coffee, kind of thing. Nice. You know, so yeah, I love it. <laughs> I have to have that. I've one lunch, I think. But anyway, no. hey, this is a guitar podcast, isn't this it? Is a guitar think. podcast. No. Yeah, not a coffee podcast. <laughs> We're not sponsored we by. We, 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 we don't anyone. Sponsor. We're not sponsored by anyone. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, hey, dude, what's new with you? Because I know you just you oh. had you've, since we last spoke, you've had yeah. first gig number one with new band. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, I have. How did yeah. it go, dude? Yeah, it went really well, man. I mean, since we last spoke, I've had two two rehearsals. Well, an audition, two rehearsals, and uh, and then for, and gig with with new band. Mate, uh, all I can say is, yeah, what an absolute pleasure. First and foremost, I'm reminded of the podcast episode that we did uh, quite a few episodes back, which was how to be in a band, right? Mm. Uh, do you remember? Do you remember that one where we talked about yeah. uh, some of the the kind of technical aspects of being in a band to make to make you know it work yeah. musically and functionally and put on a good show for the audience but we also discuss discuss quite a lot of the softer stuff yeah. that actually is the important stuff about yeah. being in a team and you know m- making it fun as yeah. well as you know to a decent standard and uh not since the band that you and I were in Roadrunner have I f- managed to find another band where there's that vibe where yeah. they're, they're solid players and take their music seriously, but they're just a really nice bunch of people as well. Mm. And the vibe is right. And that, I tell you what, it makes a, it makes a whole difference. So uh, yeah, really enjoying it. It's, it's the, my first time as the only guitarist in the band. So it's a, it's a four piece, you know, mm. uh, bass, drums, uh, 
uh, guitar and a singer. So it's really making me kind of uh, look at how I learn these songs and then put them into context with the band in a way that you've spoken about um, on depth gigs and things that you've been on where you really need to fill out the sound and, and make it work just, you know, with, with one kind of melodic instrument. Um, mm. So that's pushing me in a different way, even though the songs are ones that I'm really familiar with and they're the, they're the you know, classic party anthem songs that you would expect from any good kind of function band. Um, it's pushing me personally as a player because I've always had the luxury of having another guitarist, a keyboard player, you know, sometimes brass sections, whatever, to, mm. to, to enrich the sound. But having to really do all of that yourself um, mm. has, has, has pushed me in a different direction, even though the songs themselves are ones that I've played played before and in different bands. So, yeah, I'm loving it. First gig, first gig went really well. Um, nice little pub, um, 15 minutes drive from my house, which almost sounds like, sounds like cheating, doesn't it? Yeah, Going out for a gig. <laughs> it's like I don't think the car had reached temperature by the time yeah. I arrived at the venue. It's like, this is all just too easy. Uh, you know, as, as opposed to, you know, driving hours and hours to get to gigs. So yeah, 15 minutes. Uh, pub that I'd never played in before, didn't even know existed. Lovely vibe, lovely audience, uh, perfect place to try out, you know, a new member of the band and stuff. And then it's going to, you know, get bigger from there. So we've got uh, a wedding gig in a couple of gigs time. So yeah, building up to that really. But yeah, Fantastic. loving it, mate. Re- re- really loving it. And um, the frequency is right for me, which is like one to two gigs per month, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also uh, back doing depth work for um, for the DLB, for Damien's band this, Fantastic. this year, which is, which is nice. That's cool. Um, so yeah, I've got that set. After having just learned a full set list for one band, <laughs> I've now got to go and learn relearn Damien set list, but there is there's a good overlap. There's a good overlap in the numbers, albeit in different keys. So that mm. is going to be that's the challenge from that's, that's that's at least you can kind of you know what there's a lesson to be learned though as well in there transposition is. and yes. being able to move around and understand things differently in different keys. You don't always have you, yes. you, what you need to start doing is use this time as an exercise to stop thinking about the chords themselves and start thinking yes. about them as like one four or five, six, and things like that, yes. you know, how they relate to the to the diatonic key. And and then you can start going, well, it's a, I know it's a one, four, six, five in C, so a one, four, six, five in yes. E is, you start, is yeah. this. And that's, yeah. Do you know what? That's exactly the approach that started to unfold in my head. Yeah. And uh, it's, again, songs that I'm familiar with and, and know, but it's like, oh man, I've got to learn this exact same song in a different key. And then you start to do it and you go, ah, this isn't as difficult as I thought. And um, it's mm. teaching me those types of disciplines as well. And just learning more about, you know, the space between different chords, how how to how to navigate the fretboard and find these positions. And, and yeah, it's, it's good. It's good fun. Mm. It's good fun. Now you said so, when yeah. you were, last time we spoke, um, and I remember this because it's in the last podcast, you were talking about right. auditioning for this band or mm. having your first rehearsal with them. That's right. And you Same said thing. you were yeah. going to take out your silver American Deluxe mm. Mm. Strat for this. Is that the guitar you took out for this gig as well? It is. It is, yeah. I hadn't, hadn't played it in a while, but I did set it up during lockdown and then mm. got it all working nicely and then put it put it back on the rack and went, oh, that's great, I'll play that at some point so it yeah. still had those strings on from from months ago they hadn't gone dead so no. 
Um, that was great. The strings were fine. Didn't need any tweaking. And yeah, that's the instrument now for, that I've played with this band purely because it is the only guitar that I've got that SSH configuration right, in. Right, yeah. Um, so it gives me a guitar that enables me to do the kind of funkier strat type mm. tones that where certain songs need it. But then when I need to dig in and, and do do some more rocky numbers, it's just a, a flick away to the to the humbucker. So it's got some interesting yeah. switching, hasn't it? That guitar. It has, man. Oh yeah, you've got good memory. You've got yeah, a really good memory. I've got a very good memory. <laughs> Uh, I've got a good memory for for things that other people have that I don't. (laughs) (laughs) So do you know what I've debated? Because I love the, I love the, so it's an American deluxe, I want to say professional. I don't know if that's a range they do anymore, but it, it certainly was one they did before. So it's got it's got a compound radius fingerboard on it, which is beautiful. So it gets nice and flat as you get up into the higher frets. Um, but still great for chord work down on the lower open chord area. It's got um, locking tuners. It's got a roller nut. Uh, it's got a nice, you know, proper professional style trim. And then one of the other features that it's got in this uh, single, single humbucker configuration, it's got all this additional switching, which, hmm. you know, I, I do guitar tech stuff on the side, but I'm, I'm, I'm not looking forward to the point where I ever need to open up the cavity on this one and just have a look at how all this is wired because it's just like... <laughs> <laughs> it's just like what what so it's um so you've got your standard five-way selector switch yeah. uh, that operates between those and then obviously volume and, and two tones as you would expect but then the volume uh knob itself uh is like a it's like a secret uh fender style knob because it looks just like a normal volume knob yeah. fender kind of top hat knob but you can actually press it and in pressing right. it, it thickens up the tone of each of those settings in, in a, in, in quite a convincing way. It almost gives you like a more of a, a P90 type feel oh, to, okay. to the pickups, okay. right? So it doesn't turn them into humbuckers in any way, but it just tonally does something to just thicken up each of those, those sounds. So you get, you get a, a, a you get a gruffer tone to, to all of it, which is quite nice. Mm-hmm. Um, then you've got, uh, another little switch which is like a little tiny discrete uh just kind of micro switch um as well which allows you Ah, to just bypass all of the circuitry none of this is active it's all passive stuff um you press it and it literally roots straight to the humbucker but 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 bypassing all of the other uh wiring inside so that you, not only do you get a quick access to the humbucker if you need to just by f- clicking this micro switch, I mean, yeah. arguably, it might even be quicker just to flick the five-way selector switch to the humbucker. Mm. But but the advantages of this little micro switch is it because it's bypassing all of that other wiring. It also gives you a little a little boost in the in the perceived volume as well from that humbucker that you wouldn't get just flicking to it on the five-way selector switch because right, it's bypassing okay. all of that that wiring. So. Between all of that, there is um, there's like limitless permutations of of not limitless clearly, but there's loads of different tones <laughs> you can get from it. I right? Know what you mean, yeah. Uh, but in true in true style, I, I use about two two different tones. <laughs> 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 
I use I use the neck single coil, uh, yeah. and, and and I use the humbucker, and then occasionally I use the outer phase uh, neck and middle for that yeah. kind of nice quacky funk type stuff. So uh, I have debated just ripping it all out. Wow, that sounds very visceral, doesn't it? I have debated just <laughs> snipping the uh, the the leads to the to the jack socket and taking that fully loaded pick guard out, yeah, fully intact because these are these are Fender noiseless pickups in it, and yeah. you know they're not they're not cheap pickups in it. But just taking that whole fully loaded pickup pick guard out and just dropping in something a little bit more vintage, traditional, with simpler simpler switching, yeah. um, and and uh, yeah, just just seeing what that does. And I might still do that because um, yeah. there's some there's some great fully loaded pick guards. I mean, I can wire it myself, but there's some really lovely fully loaded ones where I could literally just drop it in. Um, yeah. And and see, I've, I've gone off on a massive tangent about that. Well, one I, asked. <laughs> I asked. I asked. You just asked if I ask. used that guitar recently. Yeah. <laughs> the short answer would have been yes, Matt. I'm using that one again. It's really nice. Thanks for asking. You know, I tell you what, actually, because in a year of us doing this podcast now, I've had the same view of of your guitar room every day, and I've never asked you about that Gibson three three five that you have, mm. which is clearly to. I mean, that's that's obviously like an heirloom guitar isn't it you know because have you ever gigged that guitar I, I, I think I think the real question should be have I ever played that guitar <laughs> <laughs> because it is just like that is kind of like a a bucket list guitar for yeah. lots of people for yeah. you know for me as well you know a, a proper 335 is a bucket list guitar um, and I just wondered you know I, I, I've never asked really about if there's a story behind that guitar if there's a you know what 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 kind of brought you to purchase that guitar and if what your kind of whether you sit and play it occasionally and if it's I, something I that is like a you know like like I said like an heirloom piece something you don't intend to ever gig um, and it's more of like a, a family museum kind of thing, <laughs> you know. You're making me sound a little bit like Joe Bonamassa in Nerdville, but <laughs> but but like an even more attentive one because at least he plays and gigs his. But no, a I don't have that many guitars, and and, and no, of course and not. This so this kind of is 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 now bringing us onto the topic of this this podcast. It quite is nicely, actually, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe we should nicely. maybe we should take a let's take a step back and introduce All the right. main topic for this podcast, and maybe we can come back, circle yeah. back to that question, yeah, about definitely. that guitar. Sorry to interrupt this interesting conversation. However, if you've listened this far, you should probably subscribe to the Guitar Smarts podcast. Go and do that now, and then come straight back. So, so this week we, we we've we've very kind of uh, tongue in cheek kind of named this podcast. Why you? Why actually? What did we name? <laughs> <laughs> what did we say? Why you should why you should stop buying guitars? That's it. Why you should stop <laughs> buying guitars? Um, yeah. Because it, it, we're, we're, it, this is kind of like a gas. This is a gas conversation again, isn't it? This is sure. gear acquisition syndrome. Yeah. Something we're all guilty of as music, as musicians is that we always kind of covet the next thing, regardless mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. things we have. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, you know, especially if you're a professional musician. Um, mm-hmm. 
if you're a professional musician who is going to be called to gigs and working day in, day out, you're going to need a whole plethora of different instruments and tools to be able to, you know, provide variety in the playing and the sounds that you can provide to other people, whatever the gig might be. So there's justification in that for always being able to kind of buy a new guitar if something interesting pops up. <laughs> but for the more average Joe guitarists like you and I, right. is it is it a good thing to, to be collecting guitars? Should we take a... St- I guess the, the question is, should we take a step back sometimes and think about, do we really need to spend money on another instrument or should we invest that money, maybe time and effort in things we already have? What's the right thing to do? Oh, man, what a, what a question. Yeah. That's a good question. You can argue this both ways, right? Mm. I mean, it is definitely tongue-in-cheek because are we going to yeah, stop exactly. buying guitars? No. Nope. Pro- pro- probably not. Probably not anytime soon. But <laughs> do you, how many? I, I, so how many guitars do you really need? Um, so for the jobbing guitarist like you and I, you probably need two guitars, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Two electric guitars. Maybe if you're doing some acoustic stuff, you have an acoustic as well, right? So so mm-hmm. so maybe three, maybe three guitars, right? And so long as you pick and choose which two or three guitars they are. That will cover you tonally for most things. Mm. And in fact, for most gigs, you're going to be playing your inverted commas number one guitar and number two is there if a string breaks or you need you need a different tuning quickly to access or, you know, you just definitely need a different sound that, that number one can't give you. So, so you don't need a whole bunch of guitars for going out and gigging. But we like buying guitars because they're beautiful things to look at and there's so much to choose from and the variety is there and there's always like the the desire to, to, to get something else. Whether that's wrapped up in the belief that it will make you a better player and give you that tone that you can't get is a whole different like psychological like conversation maybe. Um, but I don't know, I guess... I, th- I think my I think my desire to keep buying guitars is is getting less and less when I'm more active and gigging. When I'm left to my own devices and sitting around and not and not playing live, mm. then my brain starts to go, well, yeah, I'm going to go and buy some more guitars and tinker around with them and, and, and all of that. And then when you get into the back into the routine of gigging, you go, oh, what's the point? I don't need it. If I'm not going to be using it this weekend, if I'm mm. not going to be out playing it live, then what's the point? It's just going to sit on the wall. Um, which comes back to your question, have I ever gigged that 335? No. Do I ever intend to gig that 335? No. What a, <laughs> what a, what a travesty. I, I, hate, I hate myself for saying those words. That's just like, what is the point? What is the point? So this is one of the guitars that was bought in that in that uh, fertile period of my life when when I was making children and, and decided to buy something as a recognition of of, 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 of a new kit. That's so excellent. I went into Guitar Village intending to buy another Les Paul because again mm-hmm. I have a sick I have a sickness and uh, and then saw saw and then played this and I was just I just fell in love immediately it was just yeah. it, it just fits it just fits in my hand it's one of those guitars that's beautiful to play couldn't put it down didn't have a, a, a 335 and just went yeah I'm, I'm having that one and I played it for a good couple of weeks and nothing else when I when I first got it home. And then wow. it's pretty much, and then it's pretty much sat on the wall there, just looking beautiful, and gets taken down every every now and again for a setup and a string change and and a little a little uh, little twang, and then it, and then 
back it goes on the wall. So yeah, I've got to say, like, if that was on my wall and that was my guitar, it'd be the guitar that gets the most looked at uh, for sure. But I probably play it the least as well out of. Hmm. Um, I don't know. This this it's I want I don't want to say fear. But there's a mm-hmm. there's a reverence for that style of guitar that I have yeah. for that period of guitar making uh, in Gibson's history. You know the '60s when they after the Les Paul late '50s kind of era when they were making those um, kind of you know center block semi acoustic um, electroacoustic guitar not electroacoustic sorry semi acoustic guitars these arch tops and these um, thin line um, kind of cross between you know the more modern electric guitar and the jazz boxes they used to make there's something about that era which I just find so fascinating and having grown up being a huge Clapton fan yeah. you know he was yeah. obviously playing the cherry red one in the 60s and he played that he played that throughout his whole career and and more importantly, when I first got into playing guitar, when Clapton was doing rehearsals and stuff for his blues tour in the early 90s, he was playing a Sunburst, Tobacco Burst 335 in rehearsals, which was just beautiful. So I think I'd be the same if I bought that guitar. I, I definitely would would be kind of, you know, playing it the, playing it the least. You know, I certainly mm. probably, I probably wouldn't gig it either. It would be a very private, personal kind of affair. But yeah, how do you just, is that a harder person? just to justify you know this is the thing right how do you justify these kind of purchases you know you have to have a very personal reason so i don't find it too difficult to justify Mm. buying particularly guitars like that from a purely financial investment perspective because you know depending on your view of money and uh and you know overall investments and things Mm. it's it's probably if you buy guitars like that in some instances and you're able to once you've taken care of all of your other household expenditures and got you know, enough savings for a rainy day and all that kind of good logical mm-hmm. practical stuff make sure the kids are fed all that you know your money needs to be working for you in some way right because mm-hmm. if you just stick it in a bank with interest rates the way that they are and inflation the way it is that money is going to devalue if mm-hmm. it just sits there doing nothing so smart advice would be you know make sure that you're making your money work for you in some way now there's different ways you can invest money right you can put it on the stock market and gamble your money that way and and hopefully it comes good which generally history's told us it, it, it does if you put it on the right stocks and shares you can put it in bonds you can do all kinds of things with it but there is a very real cohort of people that might not be guitar players but mm-hmm. like guitars like to look at them and recognize actually that some instruments are a, a decent enough investment and you buy mm-hmm. it now and it will appreciate in value and that's not necessarily why i buy guitars i'm not an investor and I don't keep these in a bank vault or will stick them under a bed in the hopes that in 20 years time I can I can flip it and sell sell it for more I'll never sell these guitars but in terms of a, a justification to purchase it to have it to look at to play it occasionally and still not gig it I'm fine with that and again this was bought as an heirloom piece to hand to my children who are learning to play guitar and and are into guitar and, and even if they're not they will they will treasure it so in the same way that you might have a nice piece of jewelry or a watch or something that you can give yeah so i think i think i i think you can justify it like that from a financial perspective can you justify having it and not gigging it as a jobbing guitarist to play it in, in the way it was intended to be played and, and fulfill its purpose? That's a different, different argument. And that's the bit that probably fills me with guilt and, and kind of like, you know, anxiety. But yeah, I, 
I heard the, for the first time in the last month, the best reason for relic guitars and road-worn guitars that I've ever heard that really resonated with me. And I don't particularly like relic or road-worn or, or you know, uh, you know, player-grade guitars necessarily <clears throat> because I like guitars to, to look, you know, you know clean. Uh, and not not yeah. beaten up, but there was a uh, there's a there's a YouTube video of Mick from that pedal show buying a, a new Strat, and he's really particular about you know his Strats and what he likes. It's a great video if you haven't, mm-hmm. haven't seen it. But there's this bit that he where he talks about the fact that why he likes relics road worn guitars that have got chips and dings and dents all over it, and that's why what he would purchase it, you know, in in his next guitar. And it's because he doesn't then have to have any anxiety or worry about what will happen to that guitar in his hands if it gets knocked or dinged or damaged. And what he found was that when he had pristine guitars and really clean, brand new, shiny guitars, he did worry about that and he did worry about damaging them. And it gave him a level of anxiety that then meant when he was playing them, Hmm. the guitar was getting in the way of his playing. And I think it's a similar train of thought to what you just mentioned mentioned which is you know if you if you had those types of guitars you would have this kind of reverence for it or you'd be thinking about the guitar in a way that you know mm. gets in the way of your playing and I, yeah I and, think that, so. and that and that kind of made a lot of sense to me and i was like do you know what that's why i don't gig those guitars or because i'd be worried about them getting stolen i'd be worried about them getting damaged i'd be worrying just like thinking about the guitar itself while i'm playing it just in terms of how i'm using it mm. you know wh- how i'm playing it whereas the best moments playing live is where the guitar is a tool and it just allows you to express itself and you're not worried about going crazy on it and you're just worried mm. about you know making it sound sound great so yeah don't know that's that's, that's a, no, I, I really like that actually i think there's a lot of sense in that because i've i've got to admit i've kind of struggled to understand over the years why people love a uh, why people love a, i think relic guitars do look good in some instances mm. um i think there's some guitar makers out there that make amazing um mm. aged instruments and not just mm. you know from a kind of artistic point of view but obviously they're trying to make a really good ergonomic guitar as well and you know maybe kind of um you know, pay tribute to other guitars that they've they've seen and played in the in the past. Mm, um, mm. But I've never really thought about it in the same way as as what you said. You know, Mick Taylor from that pedal show has spoken about, which yeah. is kind of it's almost like you're you're buying a guitar that you know the damage is already done, yes. and you can kind of get on with the artistic side of of playing yes. guitar and and not worrying about protecting your instrument. Um, but I I've I've always kind of at the same time I've always kind of had this thought in my mind that. Um, it's inevitable that you're going to, you know, put your mark on things, aren't you? Mm-hmm. really, depending on, you know, unless you've bought a guitar and you know you absolutely want to keep it pristine, like that 335 of yours, you absolutely mm-hmm. want to keep that in perfect condition. So you treat it accordingly, you know, you don't mm-hmm. put it in a position where it's going to get damaged. But if you buy a guitar that's pristine and you want to gig it, I think you have to, you know, submit yourself to the fact that it's going to pick up some, you know, some damage along the way. But I've always been of the mind that I want the guitars that I own to, to you know, I want to be able to explain away what certain mm. marks and things are, you know. I don't want to be, somebody to look at my guitar and go, oh, look at all those scratches. That's cool. How did that, how did that happen? Was that, you know, from 
particular gigs and then I go, oh no, I bought it like that. It kind of feels, <laughs> I've always thought as, as good as Relic guitars look, I've always felt there's something a little bit lame about that. Whereas if, you know, it's damage, if damage is done, like my, my Les Paul, um, my Epiphone Les Paul, which is, I mean, you know, it means a lot to me, that guitar. That mm. was a 21st mm. birthday present from my parents. And the first uh, guitar I owned, which I really thought was like, this is a, this is a great, you know, great instrument. Before that, I had a yeah. Yamaha Pacifica, which was great, but it was, it felt like, still felt like a beginner's instrument, you know, and this didn't. Um, you know, I've had that 20 years now and I, I, it, it's got a lot of road work on it. You know, there's, yeah. there's yeah. cracks in the top of it and not... Not from light, not from age, from it being knocked off its stand at a gig once and it, it fell face first. Um, and like the volume, the original volume um, cap uh, caps, they on, on the pots, they you know, they shattered and and the lacquer on the top cracked. So it's got some damage there. And there's a few marks where it again, it's kind of been caught during gigs or maybe it's been it's. I've lent it against an amp rather than putting it on a stand and it's fallen off and it, it, there's history in it, but I can explain it all away. You know, I can, I can pick that guitar up and look at it. And like I've just said to you now, I can, I can remember gigs and times with friends and certain nights of my life based on the scratches and the wear and tear that's on my instrument. And I'd, I'd always prefer that over looking at something that looks like it's been played and favoured well for 50 yeah. years when really that's just you know the creations of a, a very skilled luthier yeah and i think i think i don't think you're alone in that i i hear that a lot when i speak to other guitarists is this notion of that they're not they're not like uh afraid about any dings and chips and that they accept that that's inevitable and part of the working life of an instrument and in some ways they come to love those bits because it's it's the it's their history and their story with that yeah. guitar but they want to create that story story rather than someone else faking it, it on the on the guitar for them. I think that's quite a cool way of lo- of looking at it. But tell me, how did you feel when that guitar landed face down on the ground and cracked the lacquer and broke the the tone knob? Did you feel a that horrible sick feeling that oh my beautiful guitar is no longer a beautiful pristine guitar or did you feel b whoa, that's unfortunate, but that's happened. But okay, cool. It's kind of now got that story behind it and, and off we go. It's, it's collecting history. Yeah. How, how did you, how did you feel? I did honestly, actually quite angry. Right. <laughs> Genuinely quite angry at the time because, yeah. well, for a number of reasons, one, it wasn't me that did it for a start. It was uh-huh. somebody else in the band who right. knocked the guitar over. So there's a frustration there because you kind of want to be the one that does the damage if you're going to do the damage, right? Um, so I was frustrated then, but I came to terms with it really quickly, you know, super quickly. The first thing I checked was it still worked because I had a gig to do, right? right. Everything still worked fine. There was no nothing that's going to stop me. You know, it's not like all of a sudden the truss rod was out and I needed to, you know, reset up the guitar in 10 minutes or anything. Um, so it, it took it really well. Um 
but it, I am reminded of that every time I look at that guitar now. And although mm. now it's kind of like anything that you ha- anything that happens in your life where at the time it feels painful and then later on you learn to laugh, anything mm. like that, that, you know, it's kind of like that now, you know, I laugh about it now and I look at it cause I think that was a, you know, a funny, a funny time, you know, it was in a funny gig and it was a good fun. It was with friends and things like that. But at the time for sure, it was painful. It was oh, I just reminded reminded about how how well rounded and like stable <laughs> you are as an individual. I would love to have see. I would love to have that disposition and outlook on life. We just go. Oh, so so first of all, a you're human and normal because you you felt a bit pissed at the time it happened. Like damn it, yeah. and then you kind of came to terms with it, and now it's kind of like it is what it is. And now you're telling me it's part of the the provenance and history of this instrument, which you kind of still think about in in a bad way, in a good way, but in whatever way, it is what it is. I'm mm. I don't have that good mental health. I would see. I have <laughs> guitars that I gig. Mm. Uh, that if it does get a ding or a chip or a nick on it, I repair it until it's invisible and it's gone. That's not healthy. No, I don't think that, that's unhealthy at all. I disagree. I think that's your perspective, right? I mean, that's that's you trying to. Uh, I think what you're doing there is is your your kind of you're trying to take care of the instrument so that it can be so like 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 somebody would polish scratches out of their car or you know maintain the the, the potential of something as much yeah. as it can have i don't think yeah. there's a I, you know i don't think there's a, anything wrong with that at all but i guess for me it's kind of, i've got to be honest if i'd have done that at home let's say i damaged yeah. my guitar at home running the hoover into it or something you know, right. I yeah. might do the same. I might I might want to repair it because I might want never to tell the story to somebody. Oh, cool. How did you get that damage on your guitar? <laughs> well, I ran the Hoover into it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it's, it's not very rock and roll, is it? It's not rock I mean, and roll. It's, 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 it's not like you'll be shooting the uh, the Queen video where they're all dressed yeah. up in drag and he's pushing a hoover around and you knock the guitar off. It's literally you're just doing the chores. I think you have to have faith that, that that time will bring perspective, right? And that even if right now something happens at a gig that puts mm. a scratch on the back of your strat or something like that and yeah. you're annoyed about it, I think you have to remind yourself that you know hey actually in 10 years time that scratch is going to remind me of this yeah. fun gig i had so yeah. i shouldn't worry so much about it if anything yeah. it's it's going to gift me with that memory further down the yeah. line so yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a perspective yeah. thing that that's again that's cool why what on a on a if i got a relic guitar that i know has just been made that's meant to mm. look like it's been played for 50 years mm. none of not one single beautiful scratch on that guitar is going to bring me a memory of something right. that happened all that time ago i'd rather just accept the fact that there's going to be some short term pain eventually in the future when i accidentally scratch or put a mark in something and just remind myself that i can let it go and that at some yeah. point it will actually yeah. be something I'm grateful for. Yeah. So what I think you so should right. do, right. what I think you should do is after this podcast, I think you should <laughs> start throwing keys at your guitars. <laughs> just, just, just start throwing stuff. Just get tools out and, and you, you know, like drill it. bits and things and just start tossing them at all your guitars and it'll be painful. <laughs> but you'll, in 10 years' time... When your guitars are worth nothing, uh, and all you have is just a lot of 
<laughs> scratched and broken wood hanging on your wall. You'll be reminded of this day and you'll go, oh, that was a good day. I'm pleased. Day. This- <laughs> that was the day it all, it all finally, it finally got too much and yeah. uh, I couldn't can, can take curating this collection anymore and I just, just destroyed them. Now, yeah. do you know what? Though, in, in all seriousness, I don't mind light scratches. I don't mind patina on the metal mm. parts. I don't mind all of that. It's big chunks knocked out of it or or big bits of finish that get or, or yeah. ding, dings and chips those are the things that bother me but do you know what actually since that since that video that i watched only a couple of months ago um mm. on youtube where that that kind of philosophy around a guitar getting in the way of your playing if you're obsessing about how it looks or or mm. getting stolen at a gig or whatever and what you've what you've just talked about as well about looking back on these guitars in later life and being able to tell people about the stories this is the guitar that i did x number of gigs on and you know this is how this scratch happened on it when i was doing it you know there, there's something there's something nice about them this so i've i've kind of thought about this a little bit over the last few weeks and it's there will be some guitars there that i want to try and keep in that in that kind of museum like condition because they're going to be heirloom pieces and they're going to get handed down and i and i want them to be to be like that but then there's other guitars that i need to just let have a life and have a have a story to tell Mm. and those are the ones which i'm happy to go out and gig and need to accept that stuff will happen to them and that's just part of it like the double neck sg i think you know (laughs) (laughs) now that's a different story about 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 guitars you should never turn up to a gig playing (laughs) unless unless uh, i don't don't even know there is an unless really is there uh unless you're jimmy page Uh, or or steve vai yeah i'd actually Uh, going back to the mick taylor thing i'd love to get him on the podcast i think maybe we should try and reach out and see if he'd like to chat and what because i've kind of known about mick for a long time he was the editor of guitarist magazine when i first started reading it probably crikey it's got to be 15 20 years ago maybe since he's been in that position but um i'm not a huge that pedal show fan not because i don't i think not because i think it's a bad show i think it's an incredible show it's just not for me really I, you know i'm not really a a pedal fan i'm not really a tone meister like those guys are those guys are i think yeah. you know incredible guys when it comes down to understanding tone and understanding things and i'm not really that fussed about tone as a guitarist you know um i think you should lead with that when you invite him onto our show (laughs) (laughs) not really what's your show mate not really for me i'm not really into pedals that much (laughs) but But i think he's he's a very interesting very I, i find him to be a very fascinating individual in that um, he has one of the most incredible depths of knowledge about the history of guitar, guitar yeah. manufacturing and playing. He's a fantastic guitarist himself, really, really mm. brilliant mm. blues player. Um, I think he's um, a very articulate person as well, obviously, having worked in journalism for a long time. I just, I, I've always found him to be a very fascinating individual when it comes to kind of, you know, the guitar world. Um, and somebody like him, you know, a lot of guitars have passed 
pass through his hands. He's interviewed a lot of very famous people in journalism. I think speaking to him, not just about those things, but about what we're talking about today, about gear acquisition, because mm. he's also... Mm. That video that you mentioned where he was looking, he'd been spending a long time looking for the right vintage type strap. Um, that was a really fascinating insight into the motivation behind that purchase as well as the guitar itself. Um, and it'd be really great to kind of continue a conversation like this with somebody like him. You know, mm. he's a he's a really great individual. So even if we don't manage to get him on, you know, kudos to him for, for you know, being such a, you know, fascinating and important person in that kind of conversation in, in the guitar yeah. industry. Yeah, I like listening to him. I mean, I, I agree with you, mate. I, I think that that pedal show is is brilliant for for those that are really into their boutique pedals and <clears throat> you know obsessed to the nth degree about the quest for the perfect tone or building the perfect board. And it's it's quite an I think it is quite an, uh, a niche show even within the guitarist community. I, I don't watch it that regularly unless they're doing something that's a bit more accessible, like you know best clone clone or best tube screen shoot out or whatever but invariably it's it's more more boutique stuff than that but i do really like uh both of them in terms of their knowledge and their mm. um, their kind of some of their wisdom and uh yeah uh you know so that's kind of that's kind of where I'm netting out around buying new guitars though, really yeah. is um, it's got to be something that's not going to get in the way of playing. Uh, and arguably how many guitars do you really need to, to go out there and, and have fun? Oh, I've got, an, I've got a variation of that question to ask you. You're kind of like the next part in this little conversation we're having is not how many guitars do you need, but how, how many guitars do you think a guitarist should have in their lifetime? Oh. And I guess what I'm kind of, mean by that is which guitars which guitars do you know what i mean which guitars guitars should every guitarist own and then you'll be fine then you've ticked the boxes yeah and you've got everything you need and then anything else on top of it is vanity yeah because you're kind of there i say you're kind of there you know if i'm looking (laughs) behind you you've got you know you've got a les paul you've got a 335 a les paul you've got strat you've got a les paul you've got another strat a les paul a les paul (laughs) but (laughs) But what I mean is, you know, there's the classic, there's certain classic instruments. um, Yeah. Which ones do you think are important for everyone to experience as a guitarist? So I know that I know people that just cannot get on with Les Pauls at all. They they walk into my into my room and they go, "Oh, I love that, love that," and they're like, "I wish I loved Les Pauls, but I just don't." And I don't I don't know whether I've because from a playing perspective, a Les Paul does have some compromises, I would say, is the word. I think it's the best looking guitar that's ever been made personally. There's nothing that appeals to me more than the look of a, of a, of a Les Paul, the carved top, just the shape of it. It, it just it just all works, works for me visually. But as a player, you know, unless you get the right necks, they can be overly chunky. Um, the weights of some of them can be overly heavy. Some people, you know, just don't find the ergonomics of them particularly good. And if they're not well set up they can go out of tune like a like nobody's business so mm. you know but i i personally would say i don't think you can emulate that sound even with like a double humbuckered guitar like mm. I, I think there is a definitive les paul sound mm-hmm. um particularly you know for that rock type sound so i would say a les paul if unless you're somebody that really cannot get on with a les paul i would say you got you got to have a les paul in, in the in the collection and play it and experience playing them live because they are just 
great instruments. Once you find one that works for you, <clears throat> that's set up well, there's no other sound like it for for a, a killer rock sound. I completely yeah. agree. Actually, I think I think I feel like everything else is almost a derivative of a Les yeah. Paul that is in that yeah. kind of field. You know, yeah. um, I love the fact that there's a little bit of a fight in the Les Paul when you're playing. Yes. Do you know what I mean? It's kind yes. of like it's kind of like there's a there's a negotiation taking place every time you're playing a Les Paul. Yeah. You're right. You mentioned it as kind of a compromise. You know, people say yeah. they don't get on, and there are compromises in maybe the playability or you know, uh, people who are used to strats, which are obviously flat and a Les Paul kind of, you know, there's a rake on the neck that Mm -hmm. leans back away from the body. And there's things about a Les Paul that might make less ergonomic sense to people who are more used to more ergonomic instruments. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I like that fight. I feel, I can feel it when I play my Epiphone. Yeah. If I go back, if I go backwards and forwards between my Les Paul uh, and the and the Strat, there's something about the, that little bit of a fight back in the Les Paul that makes me mm, mm. play differently. And depending on how I feel, it can be a really rewarding thing to sit and play a guitar like that. I guess you know yeah. it just depends on the player, you know. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. There's that fight in it that. Yeah, it somehow adds to something when you're playing some of those kind of rock riffs or or, or lead runs. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And do you know what? Actually, uh, thinking about now, people who've spoken about Les Pauls in the past and all the different Les Paul players, everyone seems to say a lot of the same things, which is it can be quite hard to find the right Les Paul, mm-hmm. given maybe variations in mm-hmm. you know build quality, designs, you know how they built things over time. But what they all agree is that when you find the right one, it's like pure magic, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And right. You never really hear that. I don't. I never hear that about any other guitars. You never really hear. No. Strats seem to be much more kind of stable. You know, yeah. strats are strat kind of thing. You'll you'll find good ones and bad ones, but generally speaking, the overall experience is there. Whereas you find the right Les Paul, and it is just absolute pure magic. That seems to be. I've never experienced that myself, but that seems to be something I've heard quite a lot. Yeah. 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 No, I, I agree with you. There's. I, I can I completely agree with you. There's there's something about just finding that right Les Paul that just and I'm lucky to have a few that I feel that way about. Um, yeah. Now, but the next guitar is the Strat for me. That is, yeah. and I would I would put that above a Les Paul. Mm. And I would say if you're a gigging guitarist, maybe maybe a couple of Strats really if you can stretch to it, and that will do you. Mm. That that will that will that will completely do you because in in what you can't do, I mean, you can mod a Les Paul to a certain extent if you need to pickups wise, wiring, etc. But you're pretty much stuck with the with the, with, the, with how it is, right? Yeah, um, a Strat can can just be it's it's a it's a kit guitar right which in in it in its essence unless unless you're buying something like uber expensive from the from the custom shop um where you you don't want to don't want to kind of touch it you can take a strat and just keep tinkering with it as a as a gigging guitarist to make it you know what you want yeah um don't like the neck profile change the neck don't like the sound of it you know change the pickups change the wiring change you know all manner of things with it it's just such a versatile instrument to to keep tweaking and there's nothing that sounds as good as a strat again for for a lot of stuff live it's yeah, it's it's just a killer guitar. It really is. It's just kind of like um, I, I always feel, feel like you know Leo Fender did for the acoustic guitar or for the electric guitar what 
uh, like Henry Ford did for the horse and carriage, right? <laughs> it's not like, yeah. like my, my dad's often, my dad's told me this kind of quote before about, about Henry Ford, about, you know, he, he said, uh, you know, when he, when he came out with a Model T, people said, oh, you gave people what they want. And he said, no, I didn't give people what they want. You know, if I gave people what they want, it, I would have given them a, a faster horse, you know, or, a, <laughs> you know, a stronger horse. You know, I, mm. it's not the same thing. And I kind of feel like, you know, the innovation that Leo Fender brought to the electric guitar in that first broadcaster, in, was it a broadcaster? Mm. Thinking mm. back to the pub quiz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the broadcaster and then the telly and the strat, you know, that, yeah. that innovation really translated so well into, you know, what guitarists, could then do and what they created with those instruments and that's and, and then I think the next one is the telly you know Les Paul yeah. Strat I think people should own a yeah. telly I've never owned yeah. a telly but I've played some good ones um, yeah. and I still want to own a telly at some point mm. Mm. yeah I'll um, get around to it as well I've yeah. played a few good ones like you, like you said It's but it's never been one that I'll tell you what and that's a really silly thing it's just the look of it it's not a shape that I look at and go that looks like, mm. a, like a beautiful guitar but when yeah. you play when you play one then you get it and you go yeah i get why people like a telly there is a sound there is a distinctive sound to it and it and it's and it's cool it's a good sound and i I gotta say i don't think anything looks better relic than a telly nothing i don't think that's true strats look great relic les pauls anything i think with the right amount of relicing but tellies look fantastic when they look like they've been dragged through a bush for like 40 years they just really do don't they they look fantastic because they've got that kind of essence about them as being like this is this isn't an instrument this is a tool yes isn't it it's just something to be thrown around and used not something to be kind of you know taken care of that's the kind of feeling i get when i think of a telly i feel exactly the same that's why i've never bought one because it looks very functional in Mm. its approach and you play it and you go yeah it is functional in a really good way but it's not beautiful to look at in the same way as a Les Paul or a Strat or a PLS yeah. or even some of the Ibanez stuff or Music Man. It just it just looks like a functional tool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, what what's next? Do you think? An I think we need to. Uh, I think. Well, oh, sorry. Is in in terms of guitars of rank order. I thought. I thought what's next is. Uh, on the episode entitled Don't Buy Any More Guitars is that Matt and Kieran go out and buy tellies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just I was going to say, actually, this, this, this episode is turning into... I mean, when I was saying... Because I was just basically thinking what's ne- what, what's next in the guitars, guitar is shut on. If we just keep saying what's next, we'll just come up with every guitar. You know, <laughs> really, we sh- it should kind of be like a limit three or four. And I think it yeah, should be... Like, my opinion is um, is Les Paul, Les Paul Strat Telly 335. I think if you own mm-hmm. one of each of those guitars in your lifetime, yeah. I done. think you're experiencing yeah. 95% of everything you need to. You could argue yeah, that right. maybe you should get yourself like a super strat of a Floyd Rose and, you uh-huh. know, maybe a jazz box as well. But really, you know, those four guitars for me are everything. Yeah. Everything yeah. that I love and listen to uh, uh, yeah. is played on those type yeah, of I guitars. Agree. I agree. Know. I agree completely. And then you get, you know, lovely hybrids that kind of fit into that, you know, with the kind of Music Man stuff, the Ernie any ball stuff, mm. the um, the, some of the PRS stuff, yeah. and they're beautiful. They're just a 
amazing, beautiful working guitars, you know, and they're, and they're lovely. But I think, I still think they're derivatives of those original, you know, three or four yeah. guitars that you've, that you've mentioned that, give, that, that give that quintessential sound. You know? Well, my mm. understanding of, of what Paul Reed Smith tried to do in the design development of his like custom 24 shape, that, that PRS shape we know, not the Santana shape, which is more symmetrical, mm-hmm. uh, but that, that kind of custom 24 style shape, which is the PRS shape, is he was saying that at the time, you know, a lot of the session guys were going around with things like a Strat and a Les Paul. Strat and Mm -hmm. a Les Paul. Mm -hmm. So actually, when you look at the PRS, it's the upper bout of the body where the horns are is a Strat, and then it expands to the Les Paul shape at the bottom. That's all, apparently that's all he did, really. He just overlaid those two guitar designs, those two classic guitar designs, and just tried to literally try and morph a shape mm. out of you know which is interesting really but you know going back to Mick Taylor he did say on a on a on a thing on online recently I wonder how Paul Reed Smith feels knowing now after all this time working you know doing creating these incredible PRS guitars I wonder how he feels knowing that he's the most successful guitar <laughs> It's basically a strat. It's the silver sky, isn't it? Is that, the, is that the true? Silver sky is the, mo- silver is the most sky is the most guitar. successful PRS guitar in PRS's company history. Wow, yeah. wow. I wonder how he feels about that. Because it's still an incredible guitar, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure he looks at it as more a creation of his own. But I, I, do, I do, it's an interesting question. One may never be asked of Paul Reed that, Smith. That's a head over heart question, isn't it? Yeah. His head, his head is going, ka-ching, that was worth doing. Was Thank say. you very much, John Mayer. <laughs> keep, keep, the, keep the money coming, my friend. And then there's a heart discussion, isn't there, going... Oh, damn it. You know, deep down, I can tell you all the different things about the the radius and the pickups and and all the things we tweaked and improved. But deep down, Paul, you know that's a strat. (laughs) You know it's a strat. It's kind of like Ricky Gervais recently was asked, which do you think was better, the American version of The Office or the UK version of The Office? And he said, what did he say? He said, my heart says the UK version, but my accountant says the US version. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly right. Exactly right. That's the answer to the question, then, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Maybe that's yeah. the same same answer from Paul Reed Smith about Silver yeah. Sky. You know, yeah. my heart Absolutely. says the custom twenty four, but my accountant <laughs> says the Silver Sky. <laughs> silver Sky. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we've hit the nail on the head, there, dude. Yeah, man. Enjoyable, really enjoyable conversation. Philosophical, deep at times. Yeah, it was a bit philosophical. Yeah. A little bit of coaching involved in there as well. Uh, I'm yeah. not going to go and take some keys and, and, and play them at my guitars. You'd be pleased to know. Uh, I, I was worried, actually. I was worried. Yeah, yeah. but I'll, I'll, be, I'll, I'll try and be less worried when I when I uh, you know put some wear on on one of them, especially Fantastic. if it's a gigging. Especially if it's a gigging guitar. I need to get my guitars to you at some point soon. Um, I've got some setup issues with my Strat, which is I think I've got some potentially some frets that are popping up. I've got some horrible oh, right. <clears throat> choking out happening in certain areas which I don't okay. think is just a trust rod or an action thing I think no. I'm at a point where my I think I'm at a point where my frets need a fret levelling and a yeah, you know, and everything because uh, it's been 10 so. years since I bought the guitar yeah. and it's never had a fret job or anything yeah, so definitely 
Yeah. Let's get that sorted. Let's get that sorted, mate. Yeah, I'm well uh, in the vein. There's there's four guitars getting picked up today that have been done, so it's been a busy week for oh, setups it's been a busy, and things. So. Busy tech this week, I, mean, I, have, I have, but I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed yeah, it enormously. So, Anything um, interesting? So, anything unique? Or is it just uh, normal setups? A Mexican Strat with a really uh, uh, kind of interesting finish. A root, uh, a root beer flake finish on it. Looks super cool. Wow. Yeah, really, really interesting guitar. That's interesting, yeah. Um, yeah, that one. That one's nicely done. What else? We had uh, a telly, a, ro- a particularly road-worn looking telly, cool. which is nice, and a, uh, a, a a baby pink Charvel, uh, which mm. with a roasted maple uh, neck and board on it, which just is beautiful. Is that, is, is, that, um, is that Mr. Skinner's guitar? It is. It is. These, yeah. these, are, these are all Mr. Skinner's guitars. Oh, are they that really? I'm, that I'm oh, telling you, yeah, wow. he, he's, he, he's, he's, he's treated himself to, 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 <laughs> to, the, to the deluxe service. Uh, oh, so, okay. yeah, those are all his. Uh, and, and then I've just done uh, Damo's guitar this morning. Um, uh, one of his One of his Lukes has just uh, been in for a one quick turnaround. One of his Lukes. Yeah, one of his Lukes. See, see, they would have very different uh, conversations with us about this. I don't think, no, Damien would feel the same way about a Strat, I'm sure, but definitely not a Les Paul. And, and, he, and he'd tell you his Lukes give, give him that sound. And I'm, and I'm sure they do. They do. He's a killer player. So yeah. there you go. But yeah, let's get your Strat in and let's uh, let's get those frets levelled and... Uh, Make it make it a happy bunny. And get, let's get down to a jam soon as well. I need yes. to play some 12 bars with <laughs> other people I've never met. Definitely, man. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> well, there's no, no finer place to do it than, no. than, than one of Damien's jam sessions, for sure. sure. Brilliant. Let's get it in the diary, and I'll speak to you next week. Have a cracking week, buddy. And you, mate. And you. Pleasure, as always. Always a pleasure. Never a chore. I'll see you on the next see one. You. Cheers, mate. All the best, bud. Bye. 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 Thanks very much for listening to this week's Guitar Smarts podcast. If you liked what you heard, then don't forget to subscribe and like the show on your favourite podcast app. Take a look at the links in the description where you can find uh, links to our social media pages, our support pages, and some other interesting places you can go. And remember um, to come back next week for the next show. Have a great week. Bye-bye.